You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. The last section of Philippians. Maybe by now you can spell Philippians a little better. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly there. Uh, I can correct it if I get it wrong. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. It's two P's, not two L's, that sort of thing. We began this study before coronavirus was a big thing in our, in our nation or before it affected our gatherings uh, back in January. But even then, as, as coronavirus kind of affected us here and we stopped gathering for a period of time, God's providence was at work in this book week by week as we looked at it and things came up in our nation and as we've been in this book and God has again and again provided us provided for us through his, his word. And then we've, since May, we've come back to be together again. And I hope that you've learned more in this book than just how to spell Philippians. Hopefully you've been encouraged to set apart Christ as your treasure in life above anything else. To be nudged along by Paul, his phrase, for to me to live is Christ. And so we come to this, this last section. Before we read it, I want to show one more picture out of Philippians. We have a, a slide here of uh, Lincoln's picture. Where's the, there is Lincoln. Okay. All right. Lincoln or Malachi turned in this week. It was Lincoln. Turn this in. We looked last week at God's rich supply for our needs, that God supplies for our needs through the riches in Christ. Here Lincoln kind of posed, I think, that 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 question that we were looking at with this phrase, looking around our lives, saying, God, you aren't supplying my needs. What if I'm hungry? And what if I'm this? And what if I'm that? I, I want a car. Aren't you going to supply my need in that area? Isn't that what the verse means? And that pointing away, because Paul himself faced hunger and yet is the same one that says God's going to supply all your needs. And that with that focus again on the riches of Jesus Christ. Would you rather be hungry and have Christ or not have Christ and be well fed and face eternity without Christ? So thank you, Lincoln, for, for giving that to us last week. And now let's look into God's Word in verses 21 through 23 of Philippians chapter 4. He ends this way. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. <clears throat> All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray one more time. Father, again, I'm asking for myself and for the listeners will guide these words, Lord, that will come out from, from this particular mouth today. May they exalt you once again. Lord, we have nothing but Christ we cannot sing, but without Christ, we need you to sing, to do any work of ministry for our eternity. We need Jesus Christ. And I pray once again, point us, Lord, to you. Point our hearts towards you. And then point us, Lord, how you've uniquely brought us together as a part of that. And so we just pray that you would guide our time by your Spirit. Move within our hearts. As we pray so often, convict where we need conviction, where, where somebody just needs to be encouraged today in Christ, may you encourage them. 
and uh, guide us today as we hear from your word. In your name, amen. Well, I want to just propose to you in these last, I know we're, we're, it feels a bit like the, the, the cleanup, right? Greet everybody, grace be with you so long, right? But there, there, there's much to this, I think, to think through. And I want to propose in the last few verses of this letter that we see two of the major themes of Paul throughout the letter to the Philippians. Maybe not exclusively, but at least I think we see them. One is that theme of togetherness in the gospel. We've seen that over and over, right? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, Paul would write in chapter 1. I entreat Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And there's this togetherness of the gospel, the fellowship of the church. And I think we see some of that here in just the last few kind of snippets of Paul before the, the letter is over. But we also see that great theme we've come back to time and again through this letter, the exaltation, the worth of Jesus Christ. And it's, I think it's interwoven in the greetings here and then also in the last verse. Hopefully we'll see. So let's head to the text. And we're going to begin with just the first part of verse 21. It's really in, in the ESV, the first sentence. And Paul says there, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And we're essentially at the, the bookend of Paul's letter. He began, if you remember back to January, he began verse 1. This is how it began. To all the saints, at least uh, midway through, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you've got, so you've got this greeting to begin. You've got the body of the letter. And now we're at kind of the conclusion, the, the salutation of this letter as well. And we find a list of greetings here. There's not just, it's not just one greet, but there's, there's three of them. Two greetings are in verse 21. Another, uh, you know, greet the saints. Brothers greet you. Saints greet you. This sort of thing in verse 22. So we want to just take a minute to think on the importance of these greetings. J- just a bit. They're so emphasized. Three times. You've got, I mean, I, when I go through, I'll, I'll translate out of the Greek, the, the section that we're in, and you look for the verbals. There's only three here, and all of them, the same, the verbs in here are greet, greet, and greet. So there's some emphasis here, so it's worth looking at a little bit. I think one of the things we can see is that Paul connects believers who are far away and distanced. Right? We tell somebody, perhaps you tell somebody when you see them, hey, tell everybody hello from me. And there's that connection that takes place. We're, we're essentially doing a bit of the same thing as, as Paul here. In this case, he's connecting this group of people, a uh, group of believers from one location, one geographic location. We're thinking Paul, though maybe some say Ephesus, Caesarea, that sort of thing. We're, we've gone with Paul. He's in Rome connecting the believers there with the believers, saints in Philippi. This, this geographic connection here. And there's a sense in verse 21, 22, really of connecting those who are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's been one of the themes throughout here. But a question, a little thought experiment here, thought exercise is this question, why do we greet one another anyway? What's in the greeting? I don't know if you've ever just thought time, taken time on your commute to work or wherever you're going to think, why do I greet people? 
I don't think I've, I've taken time to really think about that, but we greet, you've hopefully already done it this morning. Good morning, so-and-so. Hey, morning, Mike. How are you doing? Fine, I'm doing well. Or when we leave today, you'll leave and you'll head out. See you next week. See you later. Good to see you, whatever. These greetings, why, why do we do this? I, why don't we just come here and just start talking? I think it'd be hard, right? It's, maybe it's culture, maybe we do that. But I want to I think through just a couple thoughts, a couple thoughts that may connect to what, what's going on in a greeting, what's in a greeting anyway. Here's one of them. I think greetings invite others into your life. When, when we greet one another, we at least acknowledge somebody else is present, and they, in turn, what are they, they feel welcome. Hello, so-and-so. I'm going to use Jody. She's way at the back. Jody, good morning, Jody. Now, Jody's heard her name, and she, she said good morning to me. So there's this connection. It's welcoming in. They're invited into your life for as long as we're together. It's like, oh, I can be welcome. Okay, I feel welcome here. Another, and, and these aren't all disconnected, right? They show care and love for the other person whom you're greeting. I think even through a quick greeting, morning, you know, that sort of thing. It's quick, but there's, there's care and love. We, we, want to, we want the other person to know we're either, either in, the cla- in the case of just seeing them in the morning, we're glad to see them, or in the case of they're leaving, We'll miss you. Good to see you. That sort of idea. There's care. There, it's personal. It's relational. We valued the presence of that other person. And lastly, and you can take this too far, but I think greetings set the tone for everything else. They set a tone. They set the tone of the relationship. And I would argue it's affected in some ways, not, don't take it all, but in some ways by the greeting. Let me give you two, two illustrations. You choose which greeting you'd rather have. One is, um, there was a pastor friend in Colorado that shared with me a story one time at, at his church. There was a group of, maybe it was guys that got together, and he would, he would approach them, and the first thing out of one of the guy's mouth was this something sarcastic. I don't, I don't remember what it was. You know, maybe what a goofy shirt you got on today, you know, or something like that. Just a sarcastic tone, and he, he shared this with me, you know, just kind of this group, and he actually confronted the group on this, like, you know, it's not a great way to welcome people in, that kind of idea. So there's, there's kind of that. Or there's my 20-month-old daughter, Esther. I had to figure out the math. She has 20 months. And here's Esther when I get home. Esther looks, and, and I try to greet Hannah first, but Esther is way before Hannah, right? Her smile go, and she's even starting to say, Hi, Dad. And then we're clapping, and we're running, and she just comes right up to me. Which greeting would you rather take? I'll take Esther any day, right? It's, there's relational. There's, wow. Somebody wants me here, right? That idea. Greetings are important. Even coming and going, I think they set. And I know it's a small, right? Hey, how are you? See you later. They're small things to us, but doesn't God use small things in our life? I think they set a tone. They set a relational tone, an atmosphere. And from that, other conversations can develop. Other things, growing, learning to take place. And relationships, I don't, they're not dependent on the greeting, right? 
But I think, I think they have a hard time flourishing in the midst of greetings that, that just don't show care or concern for the one you're greeting, right? If I, if I said, how you doing? And you began to answer and I just walked away from you. You know, I, I greeted you, but you'd feel like, well, he really cares about that. Who knew something as small as a greeting could set a tone for a relationship? I want you and me consider our greetings as the body of Christ. It's, it kind of a, it seems just like a throwaway idea. I don't think it is. Paul's an example here. Greet. The, brother, the brothers greet. Greet one another. There is good to greeting one another. All right, well, back to our text. The greeting, the greeting is meaningful. It's important. But interwoven here is a title in this greeting, and it's worth exploring briefly. It's greet every saint. See that word in your scripture? Every, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Saints. It's from the Latin sanctus or holy. Really, one lexicon defines this word uh, saint or holy here as set apart to or by God. Set apart to God or set apart by God. Sacred, consecrated, holy, morally pure, upright. So I think... You could, it, you could interchange it here, greet every saint or greet every holy one in Christ. Here's what Walter Hansen, the commentary I've used before, here's what he says. He says, Paul's designation of believers as saints in this context does not refer, refer to their behavior or the moral quality of their lives, but to their position as people set apart from this world by God's grace. They belong to God. They are God's possession. By naming each member of the church as a saint, when he sends his personal greetings, Paul reminds all the believers that they are already saints, holy ones, because of their relationship to God in Christ Jesus. Talk about a greeting, right? This is going beyond how are you. Greeting to you, saint in Christ. And here Paul acknowledges their relationship to God. And as Walter Hansen points out, it's in Christ. Sainthood, holiness, is dependent on one thing, person, Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul here, I don't think he's describing what kind of greeting they're to greet every saint. Like, Like you could read it, you know, in a certain way, like greet every saint in Christ Jesus, like, Christ's greetings to you, a, a certain kind of greeting. I don't think it's that. I think the in Christ describes the saints. Christ is the means. So saints in Christ, he's the means of anyone being called a saint. The pastor is not a saint because of position or a priest, but all in Christ are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? To be a dwelling place of God. A couple of texts on this. Uh, you can look quick, but I'll go, go through them quick if you want to write them down. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. If we're, if we're thinking about sainthood, saints, holy ones in Christ, what does this look like? A couple places. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sounds like riches even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. Same word that we've got working in Philippians, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. 
Or 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul addresses the church in Corinth. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. As soon as we forget who it is that makes us saints, we fall back to our own religion, the religion of man, right? Don't touch this. I've got to be a saint. Don't do this. Do that. Right? We're under the law once again. Ours, it's a holy, eternal calling in Christ. So Paul, here back in verse 21 of Philippians, is he's not out of line to call the believers there saints. Greet every saint. What a great greeting to remember just who you are. Holy One, bought by the blood of Christ. Well, that's just the first sentence. But let's put the last part here, the last sentence of verse 21 and verse 22. Put them together then and look at just who among Paul, now coming to Rome, who among Paul is sending their greetings to the church at Philippi. So the last sentence of verse 21 says, The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. And I, th- I think here as Paul lists out, he, think, he lists the brothers, the saints, we can picture in our mind, can you picture just, just the church, broadly speaking, the church in Rome sending a greeting to those in Philippi? I think the brother, you know, what's, what's the difference? What's the brothers? What's the saints? I, I think you could say the brothers. I think it's a closer group. Perhaps one place talked about them as being the ministers. Maybe, maybe men like Timothy or Epaphroditus or, or Luke, perhaps. So brothers, the, the ones maybe closely attending Paul, to broad it out to the saints here. The saints in Rome, they greet you in general. The general, all the saints here. Do you get a picture, again, as maybe the Philippians did, Think of yourself in Philippi with this greeting. All the brothers, the saints here greet you. Picture of the fellowship of believers separated geographically and yet greeting those in Philippi. They're fellow saints. These, these, they're serving side by side in the gospel. There's a connection here of the saints. And still today, right, we Even in our own time zone, we're not alone in worship. We're not the lone church out there, are we? Even in the central time zone, how many other believers this morning are singing praise to God? And how many even began, before we even woke up, began praising the Lord? And when we're done, another group will continue. And around the globe, there's believers praising the Lord. We're not alone in our worship. Be amazing to hear what's a Sunday like. I mean, we praise the Lord every day of the week, but a Sunday of praise throughout the globe. That's the, the idea of fellowship, the side by side of the believers. We're not alone. But there is a unique greeting here worth commenting on just a little bit in the last little phrase of verse 22, where it says, All the saints greet you. And then verse 22 says, Especially those of Caesar's household. Now think on this. Caesar has saints in his household. 
Now, household here, Caesar's household, I don't think it, it just means the dwell, just the dwelling place where Caesar lived. It's, it's a little broader than that. One writer says uh, that Caesar's household, quote, included not simply the members of the imperial family or relations, <coughs> excuse me, but also the great number of slaves and freedmen from whose ranks the imperial service was staffed. And then he even suggests just a connection to Philippi. He suggests these imperial slaves or freedmen may have been known to the Philippians through their employment as couriers between Rome and the east or on business. Maybe even Philippi knew of the, some of those that worked in Caesar's household. Maybe there was a connection that way. So Caesar's household here, it seems the equivalent in our day to like the president's, his family, his cabinet, the advisors, kind of that whole maybe entourage, the whole thing that makes that executive branch work in order just to maybe get a flavor of it going on. So here the gospel's at work. And that's what's fascinating here because think of the Caesar at this time, the emperor, the Caesar. Caesar was a title, not just a name. So at this time it seems like Nero was the man. Nero was the Caesar of this, this particular time, the emperor. And that emperor held a place of revered authority. It wasn't even just authority, but really practically a deified position. You've maybe heard of emperor worship in this time. One writer says this of Nero. During the first century A.D., the cult of the living emperor became an accepted feature of public life. The Greek term kyrios, or Lord, was used to refer to the emperor Nero. We say Lord Jesus Christ, right? Nero, Lord Nero, that idea of emperor worship, the deity of that. And what's fascinating here is that the gospel of the true Lord and Savior was making inroads even amongst what was to the Romans one of their highest authorities and, and a somewhat a deified Caesar. Caesar is not Lord. Nero is not Lord, but Christ is. And there is no place, there's no heart where if God so chooses the gospel's going to go, that it won't go. It will go where God sends it. And here, into Caesar's household. Now, I don't know for sure Paul's, what he's doing in his writing here, so I'm just holding this loosely, but I do find it pretty intriguing that here in this last part of verse 22, he mentions Caesar's household. And yet now he's going to end the last verse sentence. He's going to end with the true Lord. You see, Caesar's household, it's going through that pseudo Lord, whatever, but here the true Lord and His grace and His glory are on display. So look at verse 23. Lastly then, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace. As to this ending of grace, one, one writer says this. says, the Pauline letters all begin and end by sounding a note of grace. It's not unlikely that the apostle intended all of his writings to be viewed within the all-encompassing framework of divine grace from beginning to end. 
When we looked at the beginning way back in January, whenever it was, I quoted from somebody defining grace as this, and maybe that's how you've often defined grace as we even sing about, undeserved favor. Undeserved favor that reconciles us to God through Christ, supplies all our needs, gives us the privilege of service. And I think the key to grace is that word undeserved favor. No one is called a saint here by Paul that got it by their own merit. They didn't, they didn't, this wasn't their own doing that earned them that place. Right? What do we deserve in our sin? We deserve God's justice, His right judgment upon us as sinners, condemned, as we've talked about, for an eternity apart from Him. That is our story. Outside of Christ, our story is condemnation for us as sinners. That's what we deserve. And look in your heart, know where we come from. We have sin in us. All have sinned. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, Grace often grows strongest where conviction of sin has pierced deepest. I'll read that again. Grace often grows strongest where conviction of sin has pierced deepest. Are you under conviction of sin? And you look at it and go, why am I sinning? I keep sinning. What a great place to once again acknowledge grace. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ. It's that conviction of sin where then we are amazed. If we sing that song, Amazing Grace, that's what's amazing. Because we did not deserve it. In Scripture, God's grace means our justification, being declared righteous by Christ, Christ's righteousness, that we have the riches of Christ. It's a grace that calls us, a grace that saves us, a grace that Titus language trains us, and a grace that gives us eternal comfort. Even as we begin this month looking towards the end of the month and I think it's November 1st, Reformation Sunday, and a remembrance of the time of that Reformation. Do you remember one of the great solas, one of the great, great uh, uh, hallmarks of the Revelation was you know, faith alone, Christ alone, but one of them is, is grace alone. Grace alone. That all glory is God's alone, for He is the one who saves us from our sin. It's His grace And once again, it's grace rooted somewhere, rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Caesar may have been called Lord, but he could not offer grace that the true Lord offered. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us about the grace of Christ. It says that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so we can affirm, I think with Paul, even a few verses back in verse 19, that my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And here in this last verse, this benediction, Paul desires all of Christ. Summed up, I think here, the grace of Christ. The the, 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 grace. The letter has been exalting who Jesus is. And here, remember Christ once again and His grace to be with each one in Philippi, to be with their spirit. To be with their spirit. 
chapter 1, Paul told them, stand firm in one spirit. And now at the end, he desires the grace of Christ to be with their spirit. It is really a blessing, isn't it? It's a benediction. It's the last thing they're going to read. Grace. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. What a great truth we have. Great promise we have in Christ. Next week, maybe you're wondering, where are we going from here? Uh, We're going to be traveling to the Psalms for a few weeks. It didn't seem fitting to just start in another book. I know Christmas, it's a long ways off, even though the trees are up at Walmart and other places, right? So it's a ways off. We're not playing Christmas music yet, but uh, there's a little break in between here and Advent. We're going to be looking at the Psalms. And I'll explain more next week, but Psalm 107, Lord willing, is what we'll look at next week in this little interlude time. But for now, observe both, both here, both the striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. I think they meet beautifully in the last verses of this letter. There's both the fellowship of the greetings from and to fellow saints in Christ and the desire of Paul, lastly, that the grace of the mighty Savior be with them. So put simply, we as a church have, what do we have? We have fellowship in Christ. We have the fellowship in Christ. God's ordained that this body, all of us with our sinful tendencies and our, our quirks and our personalities and different greetings and all these things, God has ordained that we're in a fellowship together. This body, and there are many others, time zones, all that sort of thing, but this is the body, the gathered body. And it's a body that grows as each one of us grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For to me to live is Christ, whether in life or death, suffering or good times, He's to be exalted in your life, in my life. And yet at the same time, He's uniquely, He's providentially called us together so that we would stand firm in one spirit, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. That Christ would be at the center of who we are, what we do as a church. And here may our glory again be in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Lord, we did sing that song, Lord, last week, all glory be to Christ. Father, the glory is yours for you've brought a unique group of people together, gathered in this place, some that can't join us this morning. This particular local flock, by your providence, Lord, with all our weaknesses, all the things we wish we could just get, we could change, Lord, and yet you brought us together to grow us as a body of Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we're not alone here. We're not alone in this world, but we're not alone. We have believers whom we can walk side by side for the faith of the gospel. Believers that we can greet one another and care for one another praying for one another, meeting the needs of one another, challenging each other to grow in Christ. Father, you've not left us to our own. And within this, Lord, you've given us the great object of our faith, Jesus Christ, the exalted one, 
in whom and whose name all the nations one day will bow. And yet, Lord, you've called us in your grace to bow now, to recognize our sin and our need for a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your grace on us. May we as one body exalt Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.